All righty. Hey, what is up, BCM family? How are we doing? Man, it is so good to see y'all. For most of you, I want to say welcome back. For others, this may be your first time here with us or your first time at a BCM service. But on behalf of this leadership team, I want to say thank you so much to each and every one of you for joining us today, man. We are just so glad that we get to gather. And for those who I may not have had the pleasure of meeting yet, I'd like to formally introduce myself. My name is CJ Moneke, and I have the wonderful privilege and pleasure to serve this community here at BCM as the president. And now, I'm a senior here now at UNG, going into my last semester, and really, that's really a crazy concept for me to grasp because I feel like I just got here. So I went from having years until I graduate to now only having months to weeks. And something else that's kind of crazy to me as well is that this is only our, this is our third week of the semester, but only our first service of the semester but I'm so glad that we get to do that. But while we're on the topic of school, I'd like to see with just like a show of hands, how are our classes going so far? We're two weeks in. So if, you know, if a straight thumbs up is, man, everything is going perfect, couldn't be better, and a straight thumbs down is, man, I'm drowning, where, where do you fall? Okay, oh my goodness. I've seen too many downs. Sheesh. Wow. Okay. I got you. All right, now, funny story, last week, I ran into Claudia Russell in Hogue, and she was telling me about how she was already gearing up for a quiz that she had the next day. And I was shocked, the fact that she already had a quiz. I was like, man, we're, we're hardly out of syllabus week, you're already taking quizzes? I'm like, you know, that's, that's tough, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you know? And um, I'm sure most of you who had anything less than a thumbs up, many of you probably have assignments that are coming up, quizzes as well, things that you're prepping for, and man, I'm going to be fully transparent here. In the current season that I'm in, I can't relate. I only take two classes. But, <laughs> but, but, I've been there. I took those 15 to 16 credit hour semesters that were filled with lectures and labs. And you throw that on top of work and trying to have a social life and be involved. And if you even throw relationships into the mix, man, it can get hard and it can get difficult. Right, but I stand here as someone who's virtually, not quite, but virtually on the other side, and I tell you, man, there is hope, all right? There is hope, so I encourage you where you are at, just hold on, lock in, and just trust that God has you where you are. Now, I wanna apologize about last week and us having to cancel on last Tuesday, but with just the freezing temperatures and the road conditions, man, we had to make a call, unfortunately. But we didn't lose a week, we just get to have double the fun today, all right? Now, <laughs> so, so what does that mean exactly? That means that if you can sit through my message, right, we'll have our very own Vice President Rebecca Anderson come up after me, and she's good. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause, man. Come on. She's gonna come up, and she's gonna do a great job. I'm just super excited um, for how the Lord will speak to her. And I know probably some of you guys are thinking, man, we got, we got two speakers tonight. We're gonna be here for a while. No, that's not the case. I can assure you we're going to be out of here at a reasonable time. But tonight, I have the pleasure to tee us off for the semester as we start a semester-long book study going through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bibles or your phones with you, uh, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to be starting with verse 1. So if you were here last semester, we talked a little bit about the refinement process in our spiritual lives and what it looks like to be in the fire, out of the fire, and through the fire. And as we go into this book study in Galatians, we're not completely abandoning 
what we've learned in this last message because I feel like there's still some really good things about refinement that we can see in the book of Galatians. But man, we're going to dive right in. So let's go ahead and get started. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It'll be on the screen as well. Now here's what the text says. Starting with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, King of glory, Lord, we are just super thankful, Lord, that we have this opportunity to gather a group of believers, God, and we're just so thankful for this opportunity, Lord. We just pray that you would just bless this night, Lord. I just ask that you just speak through me. May it just be your words and none of mine, God, and just pray that this message won't fall on, on deaf ears, God, and we'll be able to take away just what your spirit has to speak um, to us tonight and through me, God. So be with me as I'm up here, Lord. Hide me behind the cross, God, and let's get through this night. Father, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. So as you're reading scripture, there's a few questions that you may want to ask yourselves to better understand what exactly is going on and understand the context behind the verses that you're reading. And some of those questions are, who is writing this piece of scripture? Who is the intended audience? And why was it also being written? So we'll quickly answer those questions as we look at the book as a whole. So to answer that, that first question, tackling it. So who wrote it? Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, so what does that mean? That means that the entire text that we have, the Bible as a whole, it truly only has one author, and that author is God. So this 66 books that we have together that we collect in the Bible it is not simply just written by men, but rather it is written through men. Now the question is, who is the vessel that the Lord decided to use to bring us this text tonight in Galatians? So we're going to look to verse 1 to find that answer. It's pretty, pretty early on in the verse. It says, starting off with verse 1, Paul, right? Paul who? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now this is who Paul is. He immediately identifies himself with Christ as he starts off this letter. So I'll tell you a little bit about Paul's story for those who may not be as familiar. We first see Paul present at the stoning of Stephen, right? And Stephen was a man that was described as being full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. At the time, Paul, he's referred to as Saul. And when we look to the next chapter in Acts 8, one of the first details that we have of Paul is that not only was he present at this stoning, but it says that he approved of their killing of him. And shortly after this, he goes house to house for any and every believer that he can find so he can throw them into prison. And then he decides to travel to Damascus to do the same exact thing. But it was on that road that a voice called out to Paul and asked Paul, why do you persecute me? That voice, it belonged to Jesus, and Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And I love how he doesn't just say, why do you persecute my people? No, he asks, why do you persecute me? And Paul, he's, he's blinded as a result of this interaction as he's having to be led by the guys that he was going to Damascus with because of not being able to see. God separately sends a disciple by the name 
of Ananias to receive Paul, and that when he receives him, to lay his hands on him, and that he'd be able to regain the sight. And in a beautiful image, when Ananias does this, what seems to be like scales drops from the eyes of Paul, and he's able to regain his sight, and he receives the Holy Spirit, and he's baptized. And what's cool about this is shortly after this, Paul begins to go into the synagogues, and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, the people who observed him, they knew who he was. They knew why he was in Damascus. So they were a little bit confused, rightfully so, because this is the same guy. They couldn't believe the same man who was causing havoc over the name of Jesus was now preaching in the name of Jesus. And now, just as a bit of an aside here, I wonder if people look at our lives and they observe us, do they have similar questions? Are they able to identify us and recognize that we ourselves are different. But I digress. So Paul's life is just a result, a, a product of being able to see just the radical transformation power that is found in Christ Jesus. And this is Paul's story in a nutshell. And Paul, he goes on to become one of the greatest missionaries and church planters that the world has ever seen. And he writes a good portion of the New Testament, including this book of Galatians. Okay, so we've answered who wrote this book. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul the Apostle. Now, the next question to answer is to whom was it written? Now, I'm sure you probably have a good guess just by the name of the book, but we're going to look to verse 2 for the answer. We'll start again with verse 1, which says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, there it is. Okay, this book is written to the churches of Galatia. Now, Galatia was a province of Asia Minor, and there wasn't any city in itself that was named Galatia, but these churches in Galatia, they had a big problem. Matter of fact, they had a lot of problems, but this problems that they were experiencing stemmed from one theological issue of the spreading and the following of a false gospel. Now, these churches, they were being influenced by legalistic Jewish Christians who were pushing the following of the law of Moses. Right, they were pushing that law onto everyone and claiming that it was necessary to observe for salvation. So Paul, having spent a lot of time founding churches in Galatia, he receives a report of how these churches have fallen a little short. And so he writes this letter to the churches in Galatia to offer them correction. So he corrects the Jewish Christians for enforcing the law of Moses, and he assures everyone that it is not observing the law. It's not the observing of the law that saves. And we see this later in chapter 2. We'll get there, but I want to give you a bit of a preview. Chapter 2, verse 16 Paul introduces the doctrine of justification by faith. And he says in verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It is not the observance of the law that saves rather than it is Jesus who saves, and we are simply justified by placing our faith in him and his finished work on the cross. And what we see later on in this book, in chapter 5, Paul, he makes a point, and he says that if simply by obeying the law, if you could just obey the law to a T, if you could be saved from that, then Jesus came for no reason. But we know that that just simply isn't the case. So what I'm here to do today is I want to give you five reasons why Christ came and gave up his life. Because the, like the Galatians, what we might do is we might find ourselves following a false gospel and suffering the consequences of it. So 
Reasons why Christ gave himself, our first one, Christ gave himself for our sins. Now, if you grew up in the church and you attended Sunday school, you probably have John 3.16 memorized, and you're probably able to answer the question of who Jesus is and what he did pretty quickly, right? You probably would say Jesus is the son of God and he died for our sins. Unlike a video of this one little girl y'all probably have seen floating around. And so here's what happens in the video. So it's a mom, and she asks her young daughter, she says, Honey, what did, you, what did you learn in school today? And she says, I learned about Martin Luther King Jr. And she's like, okay, Martin Luther King Jr., what did he do? And this, oh my goodness, this sweet, sweet little girl responds with, he died for our sins. And the mom's like, no, 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 no. That, that, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, right? And to show the girl a little bit of grace, it, it probably was a Monday. So what she learned in class that day was probably blending with what she learned the day before in church. But nevertheless, right, nevertheless, as elementary or as basic of a principle of Jesus dying for our sins may seem, it's true. It happened. It's the reason why he came. And that reality should never grow faint on us that Jesus came and he died for our sins. And we see it in verses 3 and 4 of Galatians 1. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. This is what Jesus has done for us. Now, this is the same Jesus that in Matthew 121, the angel Gabriel, as he talks to Joseph, he tells him that Jesus, this child he's going to have, he will save people from their sins. It's the same Jesus that Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. This is what Jesus has done for us. He gave himself so our sins could be forgiven. May that never grow faith on us that Jesus came and he died and gave up his life for our sins. Now, secondly, Jesus, he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. We see this in the second part of verse 4. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, as I look around today, and I look at the state of our world, I recognize that we have some problems, correct? I recognize that we have problems in the way that we think. We have problems in the way that we interact with each other. This nation being what many would call a, a postmodern era where there isn't any universal truth, where feelings trump truth, where the only thing that matters is your personal experience. The world that we live in, and I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, which says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Y'all, we were dead. And we followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, who was the enemy. We walked in disobedience to God. This is who we were before Christ came and he saved us. We were indistinguishable from the world. But Christ, he gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world that we might be different. Christ gave himself to deliver us. Leads me to my next point. Christ, he gave himself for our sanctification. Christ gave himself for our Sanctification. Now, sanctification is a word, it's a churchy word that you've probably heard before. Some of you may not actually know the definition, but sanctification, what it means is it's the act of making or declaring something holy or to be set apart for a special purpose. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ, he began a good work in us when he died and he rose and he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And it is that very spirit, God's spirit inside of us that sanctifies us, that aids us in our battle against sin, that allows us to follow the example of Christ and to truly submit our entire lives to God. Christ gave himself for our sanctification. All right, point four, I'm rolling here. Christ, he gave himself to set the captives free. Now, this might be my favorite point on this list. Christ came to set the captives free. And as I think about this idea of freedom, I'm reminded of a movie that many of you have probably seen, Take the first one. All right. And the basis of this, of this the premise of this movie is Liam Neeson, the actor, he, he's plays, he plays Brian Mills, a former CIA operative whose daughter Kim gets kidnapped while she's on a trip to Europe. And she's kidnapped by these human traffickers. And really, this whole movie is Brian embarking on a mission to rescue his daughter. At the end of the movie, there's just one guy who stands in between Brian and his daughter, Kim. And he's holding her hostage. He shoots the last bad guy. And then his daughter runs to him. And he embraces his daughter in this beautiful image. And she, she looks to her father and says, you came for me. You came for me. We see a beautiful response in Brian as he's embracing his daughter. At this point, he's gone days probably without eating, without rest. He's beat up, but he did all this. He endured all of this to rescue his daughter. And he looks to his daughter and he says, I told you I would. Wow. Wow. What a beautiful response that is. And I feel like there's a similar image there to Christ did for us, because if you watch the movie, man, if Kim, if she could save herself, or if there was some amount of money that could be paid off for her to be let free, then her father did not have to go to the lengths that he did to save her. Matter of fact, even knowing that she needed to be saved, he could have he called the police, he could have the authorities handle it, but no, he decided to go on this rescue mission himself, and he endured it until he was able to rescue his daughter. Now, if we look at our own lives, if we could rescue ourselves, if there was any amount of good that we could do to free us, right, if we were able to save ourselves in Christ, he would not have needed to give his life. But we know that we can't save ourselves. We can't. We are unable to. But Christ, he came. He came himself, and he embarked on the greatest rescue mission that there ever was, giving his life so that we might be free, and who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Christ gave himself to set the captives free. Now we're going to end on this last point, which says, finally, right, Christ, he, he gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity. If you look to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul, he says it this way. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Y'all, God is the ultimate redeemer. And we see that in the life of Paul as he once persecuted believers, but 
Christ intervenes, and he goes on to live a life of uplifting believers and leading people to Christ. Y'all, myself, I stand here as a living testimony that Christ redeemed for so long I walked in anger and defiance, angry at the people around me, angry at my family, angry at my teachers, and even times angry at God. But what God did in my life is he turned my songs of frustration to songs of praise and joy. And he bestowed upon me a peace that transcends all understanding. Y'all, Christ redeems. This is who we follow. This is what he does. And I am by no means perfect or a finished product. There are still things that the Lord is working in on me, but Christ redeems. This is why Christ gave himself. He gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil of the world, for our sanctification, to set the captives free, and to redeem us. Now, for the believers in the house, talking to you here, I hope that this serves as a reminder of what our Savior did for us, something that we could not do on our own. All right, we can't follow that false gospel, that false narrative that we could save ourselves. We can't. We did it. Christ saved us, and this is why he did it, right? Let us not find ourselves like the Galatians following a false gospel, but may we hold on to the truth, for Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the way, and Jesus is the life. Now, you may be in this house today, and maybe you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what I want to tell you is the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's our sin That's what separates us from God. But Jesus, he came and he lived a perfect life, dying on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again. And he did it so that your sins could be forgiven. He did it to deliver you from the present evil of this world. He did it so that you may be sanctified. He did it so that you may be free. And he did it so that you may be redeemed. He loves you so much. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There is no greater demonstration of love than to lay your life down. But Christ, he did this for us while we were sinners, while we walked in opposition to him. He still died for us. Man, what what kind of love is that? That's an incredible love. This is the love that he demonstrated for us. So today, maybe for you today, today might be the day that you place your faith in Jesus. Romans 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what scripture says. It's in here. It's truth. All of this truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity, God, just to speak your truth and speak your gospel, God. Father, I just pray that you just continue to remind us, Lord, of our depravity and our inability to save ourselves, God, and that you came, Lord, and that you died and that you rose again, for us, God. This is what you have done for us. Remind us each and every day, Lord, of who you are. Lord, may we lean into that and walk in who you call us to be, God. May this message not fall on deaf ears, God. I'm just so thankful for the way that you've redeemed me, the way that you set me free, or the way that you've forgiven me, the way you've delivered me and sanctified me, God. I can't thank you enough. So, Lord, if there's somebody today, Father, who needs to put their faith in you, God, may today be the day. May they not walk out the same way that they came in, God. May they find freedom today. Lord, I want to pray for Rebecca as she comes up, God. Lord, I just ask that you just hide her behind the cross, Lord, that the words that she says, Lord, will just be of you, God, that you will just remove 
any, any anxiety, Lord, and that you just be able to recognize the blessing that it is, Lord, to be able just to preach your gospel, God. May she just have a good time up here, Lord, and may we just receive this message with open hands and open hearts and open ears, God. So, Father, we love you. We pray this all in your holy and most precious name. Amen.